You can have a seat. You can just keep your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6. So you'll see my title up there, How to Act Like a Christian. And so we are about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that uh, if you've been with us, if you've heard any of these sermons, you know that what Jesus is calling us to here, what it looks like to be his disciples, it's not easy. He's calling us to some pretty hard stuff. And so here's what I want to do, just right here off the beginning. I want to start with just four just application points right here at the beginning, just to kind of make sense of all this. And I think really summarize this, this the, you're going to give the answer to this question, how to act like a Christian. Okay, so here's four points, four points. Number one, how to act like a Christian. Prioritize ministry that others can see. Prioritize ministries that others can see. You know, you don't get credit for the secret stuff, so why do it? Do the stuff that other people can see. Here's number two. Buy a lot of Christian books and never read them. Because here's the thing. You walk into, people walk into your office, they see a bunch of books. They just assume you're smart. They don't care whether they actually know the stuff. So just buy the books. Don't bother reading them and let people look at that. Number three, say you'll pray for people but don't, okay? Here's the great thing. If you say you'll pray for someone, they feel good, you look good, isn't that what it's about anyway? So why waste time actually praying for them? And here's number four. This is the most important one. If you want to act like a Christian, never let people get to know you, okay? Never let people get to know you, right? Find community that you can enter into where you can say all the right things and you can Say the Jesus-y stuff where people hear you and they say, oh, wow, that's a good person, but never let them get to know you because they'll see what you really are, right? Have you all figured out this is all tongue-in-cheek, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not serious. You can go through and erase all that in your notes because it's going to be confusing when you look back later, okay? So how do you act like a Christian? I promise you, if you do those four things right there, you'll be pretty good at acting like a Christian. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good act. That is something that a lot of people can look at and say, wow, you're killing it. Okay? You're doing good. And here's the great part. You don't have to actually do all the hard stuff involved in following Jesus if you do all this stuff, right? You see here, this is, this is not real. But I say this because Jesus is actually calling out some people who are doing very similar stuff in the passage that Matthew just read. It's actually not very far from what they were doing. So let me just show you here. He's calling out these people, and he calls them hypocrites. Yeah, that's the word he uses for them, hypocrites. That, that word in the Greek, hypocrite, it's a, it's a Greek word okay, that we're just putting into English, and it's literally the word for an actor. Jesus is saying that these people are actors. They are acting godly. How do you act in a godly way? Well, you do these things that they were doing. So let me tell you what they were doing. You heard it in the, in the passage. But here's what they were doing. They would give their tithe. They would give generously, but they would do it in a way that made sure that other people saw what they were doing, right? They, would, they would, were generous, but they made sure that all eyes were on them when they were doing it. There was a, you know, I, don't, I don't think they were actually blowing a trumpet from the evidence we had, but they might as well have been, right? It's like, look at me, do this thing. They're praying on the street corner, right? Giving's a good thing, praying's a good thing, but how are they praying? They're praying in a way that says, look how much I know about the Bible. You know, they're kind of preach praying. You know how people do that? Like, let me show you what I know in my prayer. Right? It reminds me back in blah, blah, you know, whatever. They're, they're praying like that on the street corner, really loud, making sure people look at them and say, wow, that is a godly person. And then they're, they're fasting, which, by the way, let me say this. I, I wish I could do a whole sermon on this. Is something that is a really good thing 
for a Christian to do. <laughs> it's something that's a really good thing for a godly person to do. It's a great thing. Whole other sermon. Jesus, I think, here shows. He says, when you fast, he expects us to fast. So they're fasting. They're doing this spiritual discipline of fasting. But when they're doing it, they're making sure that they look really, you know, disheveled, really gloomy. So people say, oh, wow, they must be fasting. <laughs> Whoa, they're godly, right? Everything. So here, here's, here's the point. Jesus is not against giving. He's not against praying. He's not against fasting. What he's against is with these people, it was all a show. That's all it was. They were doing really good things, but it was all a show to get people's attention. They were actors in a theater just doing a play for people. That's what they were doing. It was all about an ego boost. It wasn't about getting to know God better. It wasn't about serving him. It wasn't about loving others. Now, here's the thing. I've been talking a lot about these people, right? Um, I think we can all make the jump in our heads and, and kind of realize, um, well, actually, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I got a lot of this in me, okay? Maybe someone else would agree. I got a lot of this ego in me. I got a lot of this ability to make a good thing about me in me. Am I the only one? No one's even acknowledging that. Okay, no, like, like I, got, I got that in me. I know how to take good things that are actually should be for God or should be for other people and make them all about me. You know, those examples that I gave at the beginning, the kind of satirical examples, that wasn't very hard because I just talked about my life, right? Like, I just talked about the things that I am tempted to do. So I don't do the things that necessarily the, the hypocrites do that Jesus points out, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't blow a trumpet to get people to look at my giving, but I have posted about my devotion on Instagram, right? I have posted with the Bible open, hot cup of coffee, open to revelation to show that I'm a scholar who doesn't shy away from the tough passages, right? You know, Grudem systematic theology just kind of strategically in the corner because I'm going to read that next just to make sure everyone knows. I've, po I've, done, I've done that, right? I I've done that before. Um, I've never play, prayed loudly on a street corner, but I have preached sermons, that were mostly about making my name great. I hope and pray that this is not one of them, but I've done that. Uh, one specific example comes to my mind because now it's almost funny to think about it. But um, Allie and I, I don't know, this is five, six years ago at this point, we're, we're moving down to Austin, Texas for me to serve at a church down there. And the first thing I did when I got on the ground in Austin, Texas, the first thing I did was preach for their student fall retreat. And so literally, the, this is how I'm being introduced to the church as I'm teaching three sermons to teenagers, which is already, I mean, that's hard enough, right? But I'm doing it, and I, I felt the pressure of the fact that this is, you know, my first impression. Like, this is most of the, a lot of the church, this is the first thing they're going to know of me are these sermons. And so I remember as I'm working on these sermons, I, you know, I care about the souls of these kids, but I also want to look good. And I remember this vividly. I remember this feeling. The third sermon Saturday night, if you've been to a student retreat, Saturday night's the big one, right? And there's a lot of pressure on Saturday night. And I, I preached this sermon, and it went really well. Okay, like, it, you know, sometimes as a preacher, you get off stage and you're like, what was that? And sometimes you're like, okay, I got, you know, the, the, I had the illustrations were good. They were with me. The, you know, I made the transitions good. I had their attention. I felt like that. And I will, I will say this. 
I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or that they were sleep deprived, but there was this outpouring of emotion after the sermon was over. I mean, sixth grade girls are sitting there hugging and crying, which is just kind of what they do. But I'm like, must be the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Like, it's just like this amazing thing is going on. And we're sitting there and we're singing our final song. And I literally, I'm going to let you in on what's happening in my heart in this moment. I am fully expecting them to come and put me on their shoulders and march me around camp and tell me I am the greatest preacher that they have ever heard, right? Like, I kind of thought people were going to be on the phone with the senior pastor, like, get this guy on the stage. You get off, right? Like, he's our guy now. Like, this is amazing. The Spirit's, you know, just working through him. I am not lying. Allie can back this up. It was weird how little feedback I got. Like, like I was almost ignored. Like, it was like I was weirdly ignored after this. No one really acknowledged me. I got one piece of feedback. It was a little sixth-grade boy named Timmy, and he walked up, and he let me know that I was almost as good as their last student pastor. (laughs) And I'm telling you, their last guy, I hope he never sees this, was not that good, okay? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, almost as good? Did you, are you seeing all the tears and all the stuff, like, right? But I remember God using that moment and it felt like a big billboard. It felt like a, just a big reminder from God. Jake Bishop, I do not need you. <laughs> okay? Like, look, I don't need you to build my church. I might use you if you'll let me. If you'll surrender and let me, I might use you. But I do not need you. We will be fine without you. They will be fine without me. God will be fine without me. The church will be fine without me. God doesn't need you either. He doesn't need you either. But here's the problem. We are really good at acting like the world is a stage and we're the stars, aren't we? We are really good at even in doing our good stuff, in doing our ministry, at acting and feeling like it's all about us. And Jesus knows us. He knows our heart. He knows the human condition. He's proven that over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. Just look at verse 1. This is really the key for the whole thing. Verse 1. He says this, beware, beware, be careful, be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So as a a parent of two toddlers, I say be careful a lot, right? Haddon, be careful, Knox, be careful because I'm older than them and I know a little bit more than them and I can see when danger's coming. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows what we're prone to, and he makes sure to tell us, be careful. Be careful, because here's a, and it, it almost feels like, a, like, a, like how do we win, right? Because he's calling us to all this stuff, but then he says, look, you can even do the good stuff. You can do all the right things on paper and still lose your soul. You can, you can, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. You can do all the right things, and all that happens is that your ego swells up and your soul shrivels. And so we are in right now at three weeks. So we're, we're staying in the Sermon on the Mount, but the next three weeks are going to be focused on generosity. This is our November generosity series. And so I think this is a really helpful reminder because generosity is an amazing thing. Generosity is something that as followers of Jesus, we're expected to be generous. But there's an important warning here that we have to keep in mind. Generosity can destroy your soul if you let it. That sounds crazy. Generosity, prayer, fasting, 
They can destroy your soul. Because we're that good at sinning. Okay? Like we're that good that we can take a really good thing and make it about us. Right? So the, the Jehovah Jireh offering that we're taking in, in two weeks from now, on the third week here of this, this, this series, it's all about our kids. Right? You know this? It's all about supporting the next generation. A lot of us have young ones. It's all about them and pouring into them and helping them become followers of Jesus. Here's what's crazy. We're such good sinners, we can take an offering for kids and make it about us. We are such good sinners that we will stand on the shoulders of little kids to make ourselves look a little bit taller. Look look at my offering. Look what I'm doing. I'm awesome. Tell me I'm great. Okay, right? Am I right? Okay. We have that in us. I say this all the time, but Augustine used to say that sin makes us curve in on ourselves. It makes us all about us. And here's what's dangerous. When we're all about us, and especially as, as Christians, I mean, look, this is just like a, an occupational hazard as Christians. Like, it's something that we have to watch out for. As Christians, we can become all cure and no care. All cure, but no care. We can be all about curing the problem. We can all be all about helping people, but we never actually care about the people that we're curing. We give to people in need, but we don't care about the people we're giving to. We evangelize, but we don't actually care about the person standing in front of us. We wash the feet of others, but it's only so that they'll think highly of us. We give money to build church buildings, but don't care about the souls that are actually worshiping in them. Now notice, those are all good things. Evangelizing, giving, building buildings to house ministry, like those are all good things, but we make them all about us. And the dangerous thing is it can make us unloving people. And that's dangerous because Jesus makes it clear over and over again that as his disciples, he measures our lives by how we love. He doesn't measure our lives by how many buildings we build or how many public prayers we say or how many sermons we preach. He measures our lives by what, how we love, okay, how we love. It's so dangerous. So what does Jesus want for us? What's he asking for us? Because again, I said it it feels like a little bit like, hey, Jesus, you're wanting us to live this life. You're wanting us to be light in the darkness. You're wanting us to be salt. But now you're saying even our good things can be bad. So, okay, what do you want from us? And and here's the answer. Here's what I I love. Jesus wants us to look like him. Okay, that's I just want you to, every time we go to a passage in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to notice, Jesus never asks us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. Isn't that amazing? Like, there is zero hypocrisy in Jesus. Jesus asks you to do it, and then he models it for you. He did some amazing stuff. He came to cure people, but he legitimately cared. He legitimately cared. Let me show you. This is, this is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels highly underrated. But you don't have to turn there. You'll see it on the screens here. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. So here's the, got to get you up to speed. So Jesus has cured, they're actually, he's cured the, um, the centurion, the servant of the centurion, right? The Roman centurion. Remember the story? So this Roman centurion comes to Jesus, says, my servant needs you, and Jesus heals him from a distance, okay? And word is now getting around that Jesus is doing some really awesome stuff, and the crowd is really interested, and they're gathered around him. And so Jesus is traveling, and this crowd has gathered around him following because they want to see more stuff. 
right? Like, they want to say, uh, <laughs> the other day, Michael said in, in, in group, we were talking about this, he said, they're all asking him, they're saying, do the thing, right? Like, like just, just do it. Like, just, like, do that thing we keep seeing you do. We want to see a show. We want to see a spectacle. Like, they're, like, they're treating him like David Blaine, right? Like the magician. Like, they want to see something cool. And so he's traveling. He's going into a, to another town, this town called Nain, and we'll pick up there. So look at this. Luke 7, verse 11 through 17. It says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Okay? Do you see what just happened? Okay? Jesus has a great crowd accompanying him. And then he's coming into this town, and it says that this funeral is coming out, and it says that there's a considerable crowd with the funeral. So you have a great crowd, you have a considerable crowd. It's like a Taylor Swift concert at this point, right? Like everyone's just like gathered around Jesus, like, do it, right? Like, like, do, like do something cool. There's a lot of, of, of expectation on Jesus to do something spectacular. They're looking for a spectacle. And where is Jesus' attention? Do you see that? Pay attention to it. Where's his attention? Not on the crowd, on the woman. Okay? Because there's this widow who has lost her son. And we're told that she's a widow, first of all, has no husband. And this is her only son. And she is living in a culture where women, it's hard for them to support themselves. Okay? And so she would be left, she's not only sad about losing her son, she's probably worried about her future. Right? I mean, at this point, she's left with very few options other than getting remarried or prostitution or about like, what she's left with at this point. And so Jesus sees this crowd all around him, and everything in me would be saying, do something cool for the crowd. <laughs> Raise the kid. But it says, no, he looked at her, and he had compassion on her. And he said, do not weep. You see that? His cure comes out of his care. He cures people, but it's out of loving them. That's his motivation. And Jesus wants us to be like him. He wants us to live a life of no ego calculation, where we don't go into a situation in ministry or whatever it may be and think about what people are thinking about us. He wants the compassion and the care to just flow out of us like it did him. Right? Jesus calls us to be people whose left hand doesn't know what their right hand is doing. What does that mean? Jesus is showing it here. Hey, that's what it looks like. It's someone who's so focused on, on helping the person they're helping that they're not thinking. They're not clapping for themselves, right? They're not thinking about how they look. They're just helping the person in front of them. Kind of a long quote here, but I think it summarizes it well. This is, here's what Dallas Willard says about, about this passage. He says, The kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow from their character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As, for example, when driving one's own car or speaking one's own native language. 
What they do, they do naturally, often automatically, simply because what they are, pervasively and internally. These are people who do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good for others. Their deeds are in secret, no matter who is watching, for they are absorbed in love of God and of those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. I love that. Jesus, no matter what he's doing, it's in secret, right? Because it's for his father. It's for the person he's helping. It's not about his ego, right? That's the goal, to be that kind of person. Let me ask, okay, do you want to be that? Like, really, like, like, do you want to be that? Do you want to be set free from this hypocritical nature that we all have? Do you want to be someone who can just help people for the sake of helping people? How do we become that? How do we become that? I'm going to give you two ways from the passage. I could probably give you more than that, but I'm going to give you two that I think are really major, okay? And it really what it comes down to is it's an identity that we need to know about ourselves that we need to take on and then a practice that we, I think we need to introduce into our lives, okay? Here's the first one, the identity. Remember who your father is, okay? How do we set ourselves free from religious hypocrisy, remember who your father is. Do you notice when Matthew read this, 10 times in 18 verses, Jesus refers to God as our father. Now, what does that have to do with religious hypocrisy? Well, sin makes us all about us. I said that already, right? It makes us curved in on ourselves. And so when we do that, we only look to others for what we can get out of them. We desperately need a posture change that allows us to look outward at other people, not just look at them for how they can help us. And here's the thing. I think that we all, right, we all are looking to be known that we are loved, okay? that we are loved. Not just loved, truly known and truly loved. Okay? We are always looking for someone to really know us like to really know who we are, to know the full us and love us anyway. That is the desire of our heart, to be known and be loved. And here's, let me, let me point this out to you. You can see this in a newborn baby who has just come out of the womb. Okay? When you feed a newborn baby, pay attention to the baby's eyes. Where are they looking? For someone else's eyes. Right? Literally, as little babies, we come out of the womb just looking for someone to love us. That's what we're like, literally, that's what we're looking for is we're looking to know that we are safe and we are known and we are loved. But here's the problem. We are all raised by sinners, right? Okay. Even if you had the best parents in the world, guess what? They're sinners. So no matter what, and I'm trying to get this parent thing as right as I can, I know that I will never be able to perfectly love my two little boys because I'm a sinner. And none of us were ever perfectly loved by our parents. So what we do is we grow up and we're looking for that love we never experienced. We're looking for someone to fully love us, even though they fully know us and they know all the bad stuff about us. But what we do is we think that we have to act in order to get people to love us. Okay? So what do we do? We live these religiously hypocritical lives where we do all this amazing things and we want an audience because we want people to say, you're awesome. We love you. <laughs> But the problem is they're not loving the true us, right? You see, you see what I'm saying here? They're not loving the true us. So how can we ever be truly known and truly loved? Here's the good news. If you're a Christian, okay, if you're in Christ, then you are. <laughs> you, know, you know that, okay? Then you are. That's true of you. 
There is someone who knows you completely. Who kn- that, that thing that you walked in here with this morning, that if anyone knew it would destroy you, God knows it. Okay? That thing that you walked in, that, you, that, that thing in your past that you just, you just hate and you feel so guilty about, he knows it. That thing that you're trying to keep from letting out, he knows it. And guess what? He loves you. <laughs> He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That's that's how he proved his love. Even while we were his enemies, when you had rebelled against him and ran away from him, he sent his son to die for you because he loves you that much. Right? You see this, okay? You see this. So we live life looking for love. And we have it, okay? We have it. We, we, We have this love in Jesus. Here's the other thing. Let me point this out. Jesus says in verse 4, that your father sees you and he rewards you. He sees you and rewards you. Now, the, the rewards thing, we can get into, that's a whole class, a whole equipping class. What does that look like? What, are the, like, what does that mean? Well, how does that play out? I can't really get into that. I don't have time to really get into that big, like, majorly here. But here, here's what I will say. The fact that God sees us is quite the reward, <laughs> Okay? The fact that God sees us is quite the amazing reward, that the God of the universe sees us and lets us call him Father. He adopts us and brings us in as his children. You know, we as, as kids, we, we just want to be seen by our fathers. We just want to be seen by our parents. The other day, Knox ran in. Me and Allie were just talking, and Knox ran in and goes, Daddy, look at my handstand. And it was the worst handstand I've ever seen in my life, right? Like, he, he needed to go and, like, work on it a little bit. Like, bring that out when it's a little bit more ready, right? Like, you weren't, you, you, you jumped the gun on that one, right? But the point is, it wasn't about that, right? It wasn't about the handstand. What was it about? Daddy, watch me. Daddy, see me. Daddy, look at what I'm doing. Show that you care about me and that you love me. And here's the, here's the scary thing. We... You know, we live in this age where they've given it a name, distracted parenting, right? If you're a parent of young kids, you know how hard this is, right? Because let's just be honest. A lot of times Instagram is more interesting than a one-year-old, okay? Like, right? like, I mean, honestly. And so there's this distracted parenting where they're actually doing these studies, and these kids are really suffering emotionally, not just because of the technology we're giving them, but because their parents won't even look at them because they're looking at everything on their phones, right? That has such an effect on these kids. And what does it show? That God wired us to need to be loved and to need to be seen, right? That, that's, that's what we're looking for. And what does this say? Your father sees you, right? Your father sees you, even in the secret place. We'll talk about that in a second. He sees you, and he loves you, and he knows you. You are loved, And think about how that changes things. Here's Tim Keller. He put it this way. The verdict is in. And now I perform on the basis of that verdict. Verdict. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things just to build up my resume. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people. Not so I can feel better about myself. Not so I can fill up the emptiness. Isn't that amazing? If you truly believe this, you can live out of that. Here's what's interesting. Do you remember what happened to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry? Right? He gets baptized, 
and John baptizes him, and he comes out of the water. And what does it say? Matthew 3, 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is living life out of knowing that he is loved by his Father. Perfectly. Intimately. And he is able to go and help others and be the cure that they're looking for because he knows that he is loved by his dad, right? And because of Jesus, because of his death, his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, if you are in him, the same thing is true of you. God says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter whom I am pleased because we are in Jesus. Isn't that amazing, right? Like, isn't that amazing? How much does that change? Why would we be religious hypocrites if this is true of us, if we are loved by our Father? So that's the posture change. We need to understand that. We need to take on that identity that's true of us. Here's the second thing, and this is more of a practice. We need to spend time in the secret place. Spend time in the secret place. So this is, this is a, the thing that you can introduce into your life to help make this a reality. Because we can know all we want. God is our Father. He loves us. But we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that this is true of us. And so here's what we see. Jesus modeled this for us, that... At the beginning of his ministry, do you remember what he did? He gets baptized. His ministry's beginning. He doesn't go launch his social media account. He doesn't go gather a crowd. What's he do? 40 days in the desert, alone, in the secret place with his father, fasting. And then we're told that he continues to do this throughout his life. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Here's Luke 5, 15, and 16. It says, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The busier Jesus got, the more people who were pulling on him and needing him, the more he got away to the secret place to be with his father. Why is this so important? Why is the secret place so important? And here's what it is. We live life on a stage, right? I've talked about this. Okay? We live life on a stage, and the world tells us that we are what we accomplish. If I just get the right amount in my bank account, I'll be good. Right? If I just get that promotion, then I will feel worthy of people to love me. If I just get that degree, then finally people will respect me. Right? You feel this. That's what the world tells us. Right? That's what we're being formed into. Do, 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 do. And if you do that, then you're someone. So here's what we need. Because the world forms us into hypocrites that Jesus tells us not to be. But we need the secret place. Because in the secret place, that is all stripped away. In the secret place, alone with our Father in prayer. It's just us and Him. And there's no need to put on an act because He already knows it's an act. He doesn't love the character that you're playing. He loves you. So we're able to go and strip all that facade away. Look, here's the, I mean, here's the example I'll give. I'll, just, I'll admit this, okay? I get put in situations, obviously, where I pray in public a lot. Okay? And I always just notice when I pray in public, it's a mixed bag, to be honest with you. Okay? Because I am talking to my Father in heaven, who is the God of the universe, and I'm also aware that there are 140 people in here who are looking at me and listening to what I say, and I want it to sound good. And it's this mixed bag, and let me say, that doesn't make public prayer bad, it just means I'm a sinner, okay? Like, it's not about public prayer, it's about me as a sinner. I feel that, but here's the interesting thing. 
When I'm with God alone, that facade is stripped away. Like it has to be. That facade is stripped away. Also, let's talk about fasting here. That's why fasting is so important. Because one of the things fasting does is it strips away the facade. And it has, right, okay, we always say that we get hangry. And we act like that's anger that comes from outside of us somewhere. No, what it's doing is when we get hungry, the anger that we have inside of us is coming to the surface. And we're seeing that we're actually an angry person. Okay, sorry to burst your bubble, okay? The sticker says, you're not you when you're hungry. You're actually most you when you're hungry, okay? Like you're seeing that sin that is deep down into your heart, in your heart. So when I am alone with God and I'm fasting, I am just a hangry hypocrite standing before my father. And you know what I'm reminded of? He loves me anyway, right? He loves me anyway for all my faults, for all my bad motivations, he loves me anyway, and I'm able to stand before him and know that and then, and then leave and go, and go minister out of that. Right. You see this, okay? You see this. So we need time in the secret place. Let me say one other thing, and I'll close with this. We need to do good in the secret place. Do good in the secret place. And, and, and actually, I say we need to. Maybe you don't need to, okay? Maybe you don't need to. Maybe, maybe you can do everything publicly, and you really are. For you, it's, it's in secret because you are so focused on God and, and your, you know, the person you're helping. But if you know that you struggle with that, okay, if you know that you struggle with that, Jesus, I think, is giving us here a practice that we can implement into our lives, right? By doing some of these things in private, right, it's actually a spiritual discipline that we can put into our lives to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us to become people who care more about people rather than what they think about us. You see this? So let me give you an example, okay? So in two weeks from now, there's a box sitting right back there, okay, on that table, and that box is going to be here, okay? And what we, we have a tradition here at West Park, and I think it's a great thing, where we will, on Jehovah Jireh Sunday, allow people to come up, if they feel led, and give towards the Jehovah Jireh offering in that box, okay? And I think, I'm going to say this, I think it's a good thing, right? I don't think Jesus is against public giving, okay? He's not, okay? But that's going to happen here in a couple weeks. Let me say this. There's all, well, here, actually, let me say this, and then I'll go to where I'm going. Let me say this first of all. I'm going to speak to, to my generation here, okay? Because I think this is true of us. Maybe it's just true of me, but I think it's true of us. Um, I think that we naturally have a cynicism towards things that are done in public, Okay? Religious things done in public, I think we have a natural cynicism towards that. You know, younger people, maybe shake your head if you agree. Like we see something and maybe what happens in our heart is that it's the Jehovah Jireh offering and people come up and they put their, their check in the box and there's something that comes in our heart where they say, man, I didn't know that guy was a hypocrite. Right? Like, ah, oh, man, right? Like, ah, oh, well, because in our sinful hearts, we have come, and maybe because we've seen a lot of it, right? but we've come to believe that anyone who does these things are hypocrites. Let me just say this. Jesus is going to have a word for us in chapter 7 when he talks about not judging people, okay? Because what we're doing in that instance is that we are judging their heart without actually knowing it. And Jesus would say, take the log out of your own eye before you judge the splinter in theirs, okay? So I think we have that problem. Maybe I'm just speaking for me, but I think younger people, we have that problem of having a cynicism towards other people. We should not do that. Okay? Get rid of that. This may be an opportunity to get rid of that for you. But here's the other thing I'll say, just talking about giving and you personally. If you do see in yourself that you have that problem where I want to be seen when I give, 
I love Jehovah Jireh Sunday because I get to walk up to the front and put a check in and people get to see it and I hope that I can accidentally show people how many zeros are on it, right? If you find that in your heart, let me encourage you here. Maybe a thing for you to do in this season, if God is calling you to give over and beyond your typical, what you give to the church and you're supposed to give to Jehovah Jireh or give to a missionary or give to a parachurch ministry or whatever it may be, maybe you want to do that in secret anonymously. Not put your name on it. No one knows. Okay? And here's what's going to happen. Okay? You're going to do that, and what's going to happen in your flesh? I want credit! <laughs> okay? And you're going to go away, and you're going to try to work it into every conversation you have. Okay? I, I, well, I did this really secret thing. You know, don't let it get out, right? But what this is, Dallas Willard says it this way, what this is is letting God be your PR department. Do it in secret. Let him be your PR department. And I'm not saying you have to do that. I don't think Jesus is making it a law. I don't think getting a tax break is a bad thing. But here's what I'll say. If you're struggling with this, the Holy Spirit could use this to strip away some of that hypocrisy in you. Do something radically generous and don't let anyone know about it but God. And your flesh will scream out, this isn't fair. Because you're not getting the reward of other people telling you how great you are. But here's what you can do. You can stop. And you can take a deep breath, and here's what you can know. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's being seen. It's being seen by the, an audience of one, the one that truly matters. is seeing it. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our father. I think, well, just, let's, what an amazing thing. Thank you that you are our Father, that you love us even when we don't deserve it, that you see us, that you know all the, the rotten things in our hearts. And even while we were your enemies, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that's true of us. And I pray, I just, that, that's something that you need to do. I think most people, if not all of us in this room, know that that's true about us, that we are loved by the Father. I pray that the Holy Spirit will just work and he will help us to truly live that out. I pray that when people leave this church, they are just people. I pray that you will make our church just people who live out of the love that you have for us and that we aren't religious hypocrites because we don't need to be, because we don't need to work for others' attention because we have your attention. We don't need to be seen by others because you see us. I pray that we will be salt and light, but that will let you be our PR department. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.